0: We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, begotten from the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of the same essence as the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven, he became incarnate by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, and was made human. He was crucified for us under Pontius Pilate, he suffered and was buried the third day he rose according to the scriptures he ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of the father he will come again with glory to judge the living and the dead his kingdom will never end and we believe in the holy spirit the lord the giver of life he proceeds from the father and the son and with the father and the son is worshiped and glorified he spoke through the prophets we believe in one holy catholic and apostolic church we affirm one baptism for the remission of sins We look forward to the resurrection of the dead and to the life in the world to come, amen? Amen. Let's bow in prayer. Father, we wanna thank you that you are a sovereign God who ordains all things and you have a plan from creation onward a plan that brings us through the fall and to the redemptive purposes in Abraham and his seed, all the way down to Christ, in whom we find ourselves by your grace, and thus, children of Abraham. We pray that you would help us understand this short little book, Galatians, which has its difficulties and its disputes in the scholarly world. And some of it is dense and hard for us to, oh, think through. But we thank you that you've given us your Spirit, who is the one who opens up the Scriptures to us. We pray that he would be with us this morning. In Christ's name, amen. I don't know how you would uh, summarize Galatians if you were to give a sentence to why Galatians was written, but if you're from the Reformed tradition, you would uh, mostly take the part of Martin Luther and say Galatians was written to help man find a right relationship with God or to help man find the way to heaven. Unfortunately, uh, I don't think that's right. Now what Luther is talking about certainly is found in Romans. But Galatians has no word for salvation. It doesn't talk about salvation. It doesn't talk about going to heaven. Heaven is mentioned twice in the book of Galatians. It's mentioned in, re, with respect to a curse. If an angel from heaven or anyone preaches a gospel different than what you've heard, let him be accursed. Other than that, there is no heaven in the book of Galatians. What is in the book of Galatians? is a long think through of abraham and his seed chapters one and two are historical they have to do with paul's uh, revelation on the road to damascus and the history that followed that and he gives us this history because people are saying well His gospel is man-made, and he's only doing things to please man. So he goes through his history to show how he received the gospel. He talks about being like Jeremiah, whom God ordained from the womb. He talks about being like Elijah, who ran off to Mount Horeb, and God recommissioned him, so Paul ran off to Mount Horeb, and God commissioned him. As the, gen, as the apostle to the Gentiles and to fight the scourge of Judaism. He tells us that he went to Jerusalem after he came back from uh, Mount Sinai. He went to Damascus and then up to Jerusalem for just a small period of time. And he only saw Peter and the brother of James. And then 14 years later, he went up... In chapter 2, and there he saw the people of reputation, although reputation means nothing to him. These are the pillars. In other words, what he's saying is, hey, I was given the gospel, and I got it from Christ on the road to Damascus, and as he taught me at Mount Horeb. And so if someone differs with me, so be it, I know the truth. And the truth of the gospel appears twice in chapter 2 he's fighting for the truth of the gospel chapters one and two are historical we're going to look at the end of chapter two again chapter three is theological along with chapter four it's the center and the hub of the epistle and it is a argument that demands close attention because it traces back and forth from we and you which most people do not get and do not care about so they put the we's as all of we and they put the you's as all of we and it just is not so it is a interchange between jews and gentiles and what god was done has done and when you come to chapter three uh verses one through five the holy spirit is mentioned for the first time in chapter three And uh, it flows all the way down into chapter 4, where the Holy Spirit is mentioned again. We have been given the Spirit by whom we cry, Abba, Father, because we're sons. And the climax of uh, chapters 3 and 4 comes at the end of chapter 4, verses 21 to the end, when he gets to the point he's talking about and that is there are two mountains, Mount Sinai and the New Jerusalem, and Hagar is from Mount Sinai, and that's where the child of the flesh uh, is in bondage, whereas we are born from the Jerusalem above, and we are children of freedom and liberty. Chapters 5 and 6 then apply what he's saying. One thing Paul is saying, he doesn't say it the way... He says it in Romans. He doesn't say it the way we say it today. He says it differently. He says that Jews are under bondage. Bondage to the law. And Gentiles are under bondage. He doesn't say bondage to sin, although that is true, but bondage to the elementary principles. That's in chapters 3 and 4. Five and six bring us to the end with application. The book of Galatians takes us from bondage to sonship, to freedom in Christ, to a new creation. That's the flow of the book of Galatians. We've been uh, doing a little study on Esther, and I had occasion this last week to look back into Daniel although in the study we didn't get to what I was looking at but in Daniel chapter 5 if you recall Belshazzar is giving a great feast and he there they bring out all the golden vessels that have been that have come from Nebuchadnezzar carrying them off from Jerusalem to Babylon they bring them all out and they're drinking wine from all of these golden vessels and praising the gods of wine, silver, and wood. And then this hand appears on the wall writing, and what he had done is pulled out the golden lampstand, and it shined on the wall, so Belshazzar saw the handwriting, and it tells us that his loin, the knots of his loins came untied, and his knees knocked. Well, Belshazzar wasn't thinking that that was going to happen, so he hadn't bought from Amazon his discreet diapers that arrived in a brown paper box on the front porch so that no one knew what it was. Instead, he messed his pants, I don't mean to make a pun, but royally. Now, we're going to talk about A bit of controversy and there is controversy not in Galatians there's not controversy in Galatians it is the truth there's controversy about what the truth is and uh, you know some of us are very uncomfortable with that and we just want somebody to tell us how it is and that's the way it is and don't mess my mind around with anything else but unfortunately we're we're well we can't do that and that's not me. When I was in seminary, I had as a professor for several theological classes, Dr. Charles Ryrie, C.C. Ryrie, because if you're a known theologian, you're know you A.A. Hodge and B.B. Warfield and C.C. Ryrie. And then when you're not known as a theologian, then you're C.D. Nelson. There is a pond there. And he wrote a book called Basic Christianity. In the book Basic Christianity, he was given an illustration for what I would call a bound-up person, meaning he was trying to bind people. So he said, you know, when you ask, well, is this right or wrong, it's like skating on thin ice. A lake is frozen, and you can skate so far. If you skate further, boom, you're going to crack the ice and sink. And there are lots of things people want to know if they're free to do. But it's best not to skate to the center. In other words, he's saying best not to do that. Uh, Let's see, now, about 10 years ago, I began going to a conference down in, uh, down near Destin, Florida. And I went to it for four years. And the first thing I noted, I-, I was really quite scared to go. It wasn't my tradition. But I went anyway, and I was a little nervous. And I discovered over the course of time These people don't do things the way we do them at McKinney Bible Church, and these people are free, and we're not. At McKinney Bible Church, we make sure that nobody skates into the thin ice. Well, the only way not to skate into the thin ice is not to skate. The book of Galatians is about being unbound. Now, the book of Galatians certainly is not asking us to go against any law that God has made. It's not saying, oh, you have the freedom to lie. When we get to chapter 5, we're going to see we've got the flesh and the spirit, and we're supposed to walk by the spirit and the deeds of the flesh. (laughs) We're not to get involved with those, and it's quite a long list. The thing is, as you cross the church spectrum when it comes to lies uh, laws like do not lie do not commit adultery do not if it's if it's a halfway decent church they all agree we're not supposed to do this or that but there are other areas where we have disagreements and galatians is about one of these disagreements well so what i've been doing over my seven-week absence from the pulpit there's a lot of dust under here (laughs) i've been reading some books there there are books i've read before one book is written by john piper and it's called the future of justification a response to nt wright and this is what he writes in the front. He wrote he wrote this note by hand and sent it to N. T. Wright, Nicholas Thomas Wright, who is a British fellow, with love and adoration and concern, and with desire and prayer that Jesus Christ, the Lord, uh, and the uh, the Lord and the sovereign of the universe. Uh, and the one who holds our lives in his hand will bring us to one mind for the sake of the fullness of the glory that belongs to God and grant our groaning world unity. That is my desire and prayer. Uh, N.T. Wright wrote a response to that book that is called Justification, God's Plan, Paul's Vision. And then there's another book that I've told you about that's called um, <clears throat> that's called The Doctrine Upon the Which the Church Stands or Falls, Justification in, in the Bible, in theology, in pastoral counseling, and so forth. And it's got a host of names that write in it because each chapter is written by someone else. And so all, all these things have to do with the doctrine of justification by faith alone in Christ alone. And when I say there's controversy, I'm not here to upset what we believe. We believe that a man or a woman is not justified by human works. We see that in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10, where his workmanship, his poem, created in Christ Jesus for good works. He did it all by his grace. We believe that. But when it comes to the word justification, as I mentioned now eight weeks ago, it's a word that uh, is a Greek word that comes from the Hebrew and the greek word has a whole history around it and we talked about the word faith pistis in the greek and the word faith comes back in history you can pick up books and you can read how they used it and uh, you might say well you know I, i don't want any of that kind of stuff just give me the bible well here here's what one said ben uh, meyer you you probably don't know who he is it it makes no difference he said this speaking of those who ask for bread the bread of insight are instead given the stone of research (laughs) another fellow put it this way um instead of the fish of the gospel one is presented with the scorpion of scholarly infighting well a lot of that's true so there's all these books out there and they're all on uh, justification by faith and the book of galatians and this one goes this way and this one moves a little more that way and people say well yeah i just want the bible i'm just going to read the bible yeah, but you know the people who translated the Bible, the first translation from the Greek into Latin and into English, those people had to do their research or they wouldn't have known how to translate it. Today, if you're going to translate somebody, you have to know what the words mean, how they're using them. And so there's all these years of history. Some people think, okay, we went from Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension And from there, we moved out and we strayed for 1,500 years. And then in uh, A.D. 1517, Martin Luther put the theses on the door and everything's been set straight since. Well, that's just not true. He did, with others, rediscover the doctrine of justification by faith through grace. He did. But his research, Calvin's research, led them in two different directions. We speak more of Luther's direction. We talk about a legal justification whereby Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And he carried our sins away in his body on the tree. And we call that imputation. All of our sin put on him. And he bears the penalty for our sin. And over here, all of his righteousness put on us, imputed to us. That's a legal courtroom scene. And no doubt one can see that in the book of Romans. No doubt. But that is not the only imagery for what we call salvation the other imagery that calvin chose to follow is the imagery of incorporation and you find that in the sense that we are in christ so two different ways of talking about ah christ has died for our sins and by faith in him we have by his spirit the gift of life those are not the only two ways and when you look at Matthew Mark Luke and John you don't see justification except in Luke chapter 18 with the Pharisee and the sinner who went up to the temple to pray Jesus didn't talk that way he made simple statements if anyone believes in me he shall be saved Well, so when you get the epistles then, the epistles are expanding, pushing out what the Lord said so that we get a better comprehension. The problem is most of us, you know, we grew up in a certain tradition and we're we're stuck right there. And to move off that tradition is just tough, very tough. I'm no different than you. I did move. But it took some years of pondering, consternation, and fear. And then I became like Paul. Now, don't take this wrong. They're people of reputation. But now I don't care what they think. Because I'm trusting what I think I have from Christ. Now. I hold that just a bit tentatively because we're humans and we err, and there are a whole lot of people smarter than me. Your next preacher's smarter than me. And so, you know, smartness doesn't make you right, but it sure helps in putting things together and researching and all all that good stuff it really helps now Galatians turn if you would to chapter 3 so you come down to the end of chapter 2 and Paul says you know he's, he's He's happy for the love of Christ who gave himself for Paul. And he says, and I do not nullify the grace of God. I don't set it aside. For if, I'm paraphrasing now, if we could be saved through law, then Christ died Needlessly. So all of chapter one, all the way down to chapter two, verse uh, ten, is history. Actually, the last paragraph, eleven to the end, is also history. And it tells us uh, what the Galatians were taught, what they were taught to think, and what they believed. Then it says in chapter three. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Who's given you the stink eye? Before whose eyes Jesus Christ was so publicly portrayed as crucified. Now, of course, when he uses the word crucified, crucifixion doesn't do anything unless there's resurrection. So he's using one term to include both, and people aren't quite sure what he's talking about. Or is he talking about how well he presented the gospel and he just gave such a stirring, dramatic, insightful uh, presentation of the crucifixion and the resurrection of Christ? It was like you're standing there looking at it. You know, there, there are people who can do that. Or does he mean that when he got there because he... he uh, when he's writing, it's after, after he's been there and he, he'd, been, he'd been stoned and beaten. Does he mean he showed up to these people and he was in such a mess? At the end he says, I bear in my marks and my body the marks of Jesus Christ, the stripes of Christ. Was he in such a mess that he's talking about that? They saw his givenness to the gospel to the point of where he was, he was willing to suffer at any rate they knew crucifixion and resurrection they had accepted it they believed it they as we would say turned their life over to christ they believed in just a minute if we have time we'll get back to it they believed into christ that's what it says in chapter 2 into you're not in christ and you have faith into Christ you're outside suddenly you come in oh my goodness I'm part part of Jesus Christ it's like uh, a guy and a girl they're not married but they come together and they're into each other we use that kind of language oh he was really into her or you know that kind of language but but here it means they're united they're one well at any rate he says you know <laughs> How did you become so foolish? Who bewitched you? Well, of course, we know who he's talking about. He's talking about Jews that came down from Jerusalem who said, hey, you think you're good, but you're not good because you have to be circumcised. Who bewitched you? Then he says in verse 2, this is the only thing I want to, know, to find out from you. Did you received the spirit by the works of the law or by well what it literally says is the hearing of faith okay so here's the first place the spirit is mentioned he hasn't mentioned anything about the spirit till right now so they believed and they received the spirit and he's asking now now how did you get the spirit was it by the works of the law now friends we talk about the works of the law. And it's true that there are a lot of people, I've talked to a lot of people in 40 years who sit across from me at the desk and I say to them, hey, what's going to happen to you after death? Oh, I'm good. Well, how, how do you know you're good? Well, I'm good because I'm good. I said, you mean you don't sin or do anything wrong? Oh, no, I don't mean that. I mean, the good side is bigger than the bad side. And so God will accept me. I say, well, there are two things there. How do you know the good side's better than the bad side? And how do you know God will accept you? And so, we say you're not saved by works. But when Paul's talking about works in Galatians, I'm not saying everywhere else, so don't take me too far, but in Galatians it's quite clear he's not talking about uh, did you receive the spirit cuz you didn't lie, cuz you didn't cheat, you didn't steal? Did you receive the spirit that way? No, that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about what the subject of the book is. Did you receive the spirit by hearing and believing or hearing about the faithfulness of Christ? All of that all of that can be included. Or did you receive the spirit because you got circumcised. In Galatians, it's the Jewish markers that are the works of the law. It, I, I, I say this, but you know, I say it tongue in cheek. It's indisputable. Of course, John Piper would dispute me. <laughs> ah, what are you gonna do? So, the book is about circumcision. The book is about eating with Gentiles. It's all those Jewish markers. Of course, we all agree, you cannot work and be good enough to be acceptable to God. That's the way it was in the Old Testament. That's the way it is in the New Testament. But in this book, we're not talking about general behavior. The whole issue is to be in Christ. Do I have to be a Jew? So, how did you get the Spirit? Is it because you became a Jew? No, you got it by the hearing of faith. Subsequently, it's clear, some of them got circumcised by this troublesome, disturbing teaching they were made unsure, and they said, okay, 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 we'll submit to the Jewish markers. And Paul says in chapter 5, if you do that, then you've got to keep the whole law. And by the way, if you do that, you've fallen from grace, and Christ is of no benefit to you. Then he says in verse 3 of chapter 3, Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit? Are you now being perfected? by the flesh. Now, of course, we have in chapter five the flesh and the spirit, this dichotomy and flesh talks about the works of the flesh or the fruit of the spirit. That that is the dichotomy. But here we just have to follow the train of the argument. Back in chapter two, they tried to compel Titus to be circumcised. Well you get circumcised in the flesh but they did not give ground to that that the truth of the gospel might stand having begun in the spirit are you being made mature by the flesh that doesn't mean all the acts you do the works you do it means are you going to be made better by being circumcised no At the end, he's going to tell us circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision but a new creation. What does the Spirit do? The Spirit, we read it in the Nicene Creed, the Spirit is the giver of life. They received life by this. Did you get this? Because of flesh. He is floored. But of course... That's exactly what Peter's message was back in chapter 2. We read about it. He's eating with all the Gentiles and so presumably then if he's eating with the Gentiles he's eating unclean food. And then here comes guys from James or say they're from James we have the authority of James clearly they did not. And when Peter sees them he leaves this table and he comes over to this empty table and all the Jews present including Barnabas follow him and he's saying to that table hey you want to eat with us you got to get circumcised Paul calls that bondage bondage verse 4 did you suffer so many things in vain if indeed it was in vain In other words, these Galatian churches, they came to Christ and the Spirit did marvelous things in their presence. They saw things you and I have not seen, miracles. And yet, when this false message came, this other gospel Oh, yes, 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 this is the Messiah, and you've got to believe in this is my Messiah, but that's not good enough. You've got to become a Jew if you're gonna be in Messiah. But the Spirit came to them before circumcision. No, it was a false message. But You know, we tend to be weak people, and we want assurance, and we don't want doubts, and people are persuasive, and so there we go. We move off the dime, and we do something we shouldn't have done. Did you suffer so many things in vain, if they were in vain? They had followed Christ to the point where in the Galatian cities like Durba and Lystri they were being persecuted like Paul was being persecuted for the gospel. Did you suffer so many things in vain if they were in vain? And then he says, verse 5, does he then who provides you with the spirit and works miracles, among you, do it by Jewish markers, the works of the law, or by hearing of faith? The hearing is just a a way to talk about the gospel message. And then, does God do these miracles in your midst? Does it come by the works of the law or hearing with faith? Well, of course, we know the answer to that. But we're not living in those times. That's not our issue right now. Well, only kind of. There's a bit of an application to be had there because what we decide is, all right, here's the law. If you do this, I don't think you could be a Christian. Well, that's an extrapolation. And we list these things off, and we bind people up, and Paul says, oh, well, yeah, you take circumcision. You've got to keep the whole law. You're under bondage. Now, mind you, there are do's and don'ts. They're clear. And when the law disappeared, it tells us in Hebrew, what is, what is growing old is becoming obsolete. It comes to an end. But, of course, that doesn't mean every aspect of the law. The Ten Commandments didn't come to the end. All of a sudden, you can't freely murder, and it's all okay. No, but it had a lot to do with the Jewishness of the law. That's what's been fulfilled in Christ, and that's what's been done away with, and you don't recognize who Christ is if you take on all that Jewishness. And just an aside, you get this for free. Your Messianic churches... They are leading people down the wrong path. Passover, well, for a pun, it's over. Feast of weeks, it's over. No, all those Jewish festivals, they're all fulfilled in Christ. And they come down to this table and we still have our brothers and sisters around this country who think this table, well, it's so special. You better only do it once a month or once a quarter or once a year. Otherwise, it'll just become drab and boring. And What I like to say to that is, well, young men, how many times do you like to make love with your wife? Once a year? Okay, have at it. So, Paul is talking about the Spirit. And then let's just move on just a few verses. We're not not done with this by any means, but let's move on just a few verses just to see what Paul's going to do. Look at verse 6 of chapter 3. Even so, Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Now, first of all, the word even so makes it sound like, well, what he's talking about is this is what you guys did just like Abraham did. That's not what he's talking about. this, This kathos is a transition marker. He's simply telling us, Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Therefore, be sure that it is those who are of faith who are the sons of Abraham. Look there at verse 7. Read it. Those who are of faith, Abraham believed and was reckoned to him as righteousness. So then, therefore, those who are of faith are the sons of Abraham. Tell me who you are, sons of Abraham. God has one people. There are not two. There's not one that's got a heavenly plan and one that's got an earthly plan. There's only one people of God because in Jesus, we are the seed of Abraham and we are thereby heirs of the Abrahamic promise. Just look down to chapter 3 at the bottom there, verse 29. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's... Oh, I don't like the word offspring because I'm used to the King James and God made promises to Abraham and to his seed. Seed is one of those words that could be singular or collective. Notice what Paul's saying here at verse 29. If you belong to Christ... Well, Christ is the promised seed we're looking down to. But then when you come to Christ in faith, as this whole chapter is going to argue, and you're incorporated in him as one new man, the man called Christ Jesus, with all these body parts, you and me, and the whole world of Christians, if you're in Christ, then you are Abraham's seed. Why? Why? Well, because Jesus Christ is the seed, and we're part of him. Consequently, we're heirs according to promise. Now, that should be the nail in the coffin right there to two peoples of God. But, unfortunately, some people don't quite see it like that. And they are brothers and sisters in Christ. Now back up to uh, the beginning of the chapter. We need to go just a couple of verses further to grab hold of what he's saying. And he says in verse 7, Therefore be sure that it is those who are of faith who are the sons of Abraham and the scriptures foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying in all in let me restart that all the nations shall be blessed in you verse 9 so then those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham the believer there's one people of God Abraham believed all those who are of faith or of Abraham, they're justified like Abraham was justified. And you come down to the end of the chapter and you're Abraham's offspring, Abraham's seed. That point is largely missed because what we focus on when we come to Galatians, I keep wanting to say Genesis, Galatians chapter 3, is we focus on verses 10 through 14. We're not even going to look at them today. But in focusing on 10 through 14, we do not put it into its historical context, and so we get it somewhat wrong, although the truth still stands out, and it does affect us. It's part of us. Now, this idea of justified by faith, reckoned as righteous, I have said this to you. I've talked to you about it. I'm sure that most of you haven't given a lot of thought to it. I don't mean to belittle you by any means. But if you would turn with me to Psalm 106. Got to get the right book here. Psalm 105 is all the wonderful things that God has done for the, the uh nation of Israel, Psalm 106 is all about their rebellions. All these things God did, and then turns out, nothing but rebellion. Look if you would at verse 28. Then they themselves also joined themselves to Belpeor and ate sacrifices offered to the dead. Thus they Provoked him to anger with their uh, deeds, and a plague broke out among them. So this is at the edge of going into the land. They're in Moab, and uh, they've been counseled, or the Moabites have been counseled by Balaam, and uh, so they they come and lure. These men away to Jewish sacri- I mean to Moabite sacrifices that are sacrifices to the den then it says then Phineas stood up and interposed and so the plague was stopped and it was reckoned to him for righteousness to all generations forever now This is the only other place in the Old Testament where Genesis 15 language is used. Abraham looked up at all those stars. Your seed will be... If you can number those stars, that's what your seed's going to be. Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him for righteousness. Here's the same thing. It was reckoned to him for righteousness. Now, Phineas didn't become a believer at this point. That's not what it's talking about. If you go back to Numbers chapter 25, we won't take time to read it, but in Numbers 25, it talks about this plague coming. I don't remember the numbers. 14,000 people had died. And here comes this man carrying this Moabitess woman into his tent. And they're in the midst of, uh, they're in, uh, 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 I can't even say it now, in the midst of union. Let's put it that way. And he walks into the tent and he takes his spears and he joins them together for eternity. And in Numbers, it doesn't say it was counted to him for righteousness. It says it was a perpetual covenant of priesthood to him and his seed forever. Same language, talking about the same event, language that goes back to Abraham. He looked up, he saw those stars, he believed what God said, and it was reckoned to him for righteousness. What's the very next thing that happens in Genesis 15? God makes a covenant with Abraham, a covenant by which all the nations will be blessed. The covenant that Galatians chapter 3 is focused on, the covenant by which at the end of the chapter Paul says, well, if you're in Christ, then you are the seed of Abraham and heirs by promise. At the end of chapter 4 of Galatians, Paul says, just like Isaac, you're the child of promise. Okay, so it's time to quit, so I'm gonna I'm gonna to f- I'm gonna give an illustration to quit with. I'm gonna use adoption. Adoption's gonna come up in chapter four. But uh, when Barrett's Adoption was finalized. The whole family, included Grace's mom and sister, we all went over to Tyler, Texas. And we sat in a church room, and a judge came to the church room and went through each adopted child and uh, signed the documents. And suddenly, this child became this family And Barrett became Robinson in the Robinsons. Somebody could look at Barrett and say, you're not a Robinson. Look, your skin's not the same color. You can't be a Robinson. That's what the Jews are saying. Look, you're a Gentile. You're not circumcised. It's the circumcised people that have the covenant. You can't have the covenant without circumcision. And so what happened? And some of them, because the epistle' is so red-hot, surely God circumcised. Ah, oh, now you're part of the covenant. But no, all that came to an end in Christ. In fact, Caleb briefly talked about it in Colossians chapter 2, where in the circumcision of Christ, his flesh was removed on the cross, stripped away, and then it is one long sentence, there's just no mistake. That circumcision becomes ours in baptism in the covenant so we have this Abrahamic covenant which God enacted to set right what Adam had done and what had happened at the Tower of Babel and it follows all through history and then the law was added and it just keeps going going all the way down to Christ and Christ comes and the second covenant, the Mosaic covenant, is set aside and has become obsolete. It ended unmistakably, inequivocally at A.D. 70. It didn't exist anymore. It's not going to be revived. There's not going to be a rebuilt temple. It's ended. Now the Abrahamic covenant comes on and just like A, Mosaic covenant was added now to the Abrahamic covenant is the new covenant added. And they flow all the way down until the kingdom is completed and Christ returns. But the promises made to Abraham, all people get hung up on the land, the holy land, and sure in the covenant... In 15, we talk about what the the Holy Land is. It's there. Hyde read it to us. But, you know, I can say to you, here, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a covenant with you, and what I'm going to do is <clears throat> I'm going to give you my house, and that will seal the deal, okay? I'll give you my house. That, that That's the promise that you get for making covenant with me. And then later on, I come back to you and say, by the way, I didn't... I said my house, and I meant my house, but I meant all the 50 acres of the neighborhood that I live in. All that's yours, too. That's what happened. It's right in the covenant. All the nations of the earth are going to be blessed in you, Abraham, the believer. So we talk about the Holy Land. Oh, it's a quite the topic now, isn't it, the Holy Land you're standing on Holy Land. The whole world is the Holy Land. Not, quote, unquote, the Holy Land. No, it's all the world. The meek will inherit, not the Holy Land over there in Jerusalem. The earth. And there's only one people of God by the time you come to the end of the book of collections. Anyone who will follow this rule, peace and mercy be upon him, even the Israel of God. Israel, let's stand up and we'll close in prayer. Uh, Father, we didn't get to where I intended to, but we want to thank you that out of love at the end of chapter 2, our Savior handed himself over for us. And it was free grace. And we don't want to nullify that grace by returning to law. We want to walk in the law of Christ, but not in the Mosaic law. We want to walk in freedom We don't want to go back in the bondage. And in chapter 5, you tell us that you've made us free. Father, help us to grow in trusting Christ and, dare we say it, trusting the Holy Spirit that the Lord of the universe and His Spirit know how to take care of us. And when we let people free, we know the Holy Spirit knows how to haul them in when they go too far. We thank you that you've given the church to us, the body of Christ, to also help us on our way as we enjoy the freedom that you've given to us in Christ. Freedom from sin, freedom from Jewish law, freedom to be free. And yet the church watches over us, the elders and all the people in the church, so that we do not take our freedom and use it as an opportunity to the flesh. But help us to grow in trusting your spirit. He is the one that lives not only in the church corporately, but in each of us one individually. And he will chasten. He will use people to keep us in Christ. We bless the name of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.